And through being able to be still, you then start to notice the little things around you, which to me was the biggest part of getting better, of finding joy in such small things that no one else could provide for me, but it was just in my existence of being that gave me a sense of hope. And that's what then fueled me to survive. Hey guys, welcome to our Soul Fam podcast where I interview space holders from all over the world. I'm your host, my name is Carolina, and I am the Connection Catalyst. I help spiritual entrepreneurs experience deeper connection with themselves, with others, and with the universe. Today on the show, we have Hannah Gerland, the trauma informed self love coach. Welcome to the show, Hannah. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. I am super happy to have you and thank you for agreeing to come on and I love your smile and your beautiful shirt. You look so nice and radiant. So I'm uh, yeah, so happy to jump straight in and ask you the first question. And the first question, what I usually ask, and I'm super, super curious about it every single time, is your story. How did you become a coach? What has inspired you to be on this journey? Because everyone has a, such a unique story behind what they, why they are doing what they are doing right now. So I would love you to share the story uh, of yours? Sure. I mean, my story, I guess, started uh, 20 years ago as a professional nanny. And so I worked very closely with mothers and newborns and toddlers. Um, and then uh, about 12 years ago, I suffered a huge trauma. I survived a um, violent sexual attack and my world imploded. Everything that I'd known that I had worked towards and all my knowledge seemed to literally just have evaded from my brain. Um, and so I went into intense recovery through psychotherapy and through doing this, I think I had to learn who I was again within my own body. I had to discover the things that I liked, the things that I didn't like. I felt like I'd been born again into a grown up body and understood nothing. Um, and so it was a really intensive journey. And then through that, I started, as I got better and stronger, I started to look into different uh, practices, things that could help me to feel stronger in myself and to realign with my gut feeling, because I think I felt like my gut feeling had gone, that I didn't have one anymore. So I started doing meditation practices. I started to read a lot more. Um, I just, everything, had so much time outside and became one with nature in, in a way, like I bought barefooted outside. I'd listen to the birds, which I suppose before trauma I would have taken for granted. I don't think I even noticed the noise that the birds made or the trees swaying in the wind kind of thing. Um, and through that, I then started realizing that through my nannying that I had actually coached many women already. And it was something that I did naturally. It was something that I love doing. I love helping people. I love supporting people on their journey. Um, and then sort of, yeah, fast forward 10 years, I then thought, right, I want to do coaching properly, but I want to be informed. Like I have so much knowledge about my own trauma, which mirrors so many people's recovery. Every person's story is individual to them, but there's so many uh, triggers and traumas that can be quite similar on their journey. And so I wanted to be better informed and well-equipped to help people because I think I was brave to tell my story and be quite open with that. And once I started to open up to other people, they then opened up to me. And I realized that actually that it's so many people have suffered, but just didn't know how to speak about it. Um, and so, yeah, I think through my through my recovery, I became a better coach, a better version of the coaching that I had done pre-trauma and then encompassed and I suppose used my trauma as, as the basis of becoming that coach, becoming the person that I could see that in others, I could hear that in others, which then gave me a skill to be able to talk to them about it. 
Mm, that's amazing. And I'm super curious to know, because you said like literally everything was wiped out of your brain. Like what has happened there? Do you know any maybe scientific background? Like what happens in such an intense experience that you say that everything was mm-hmm. like wiped out and you had to like learn everything from scratch? Sure. I, I think it's a kind of a, a trauma response where we talk about fight or flight and things like that. And I think um So there's so many misconceptions. So when somebody has suffered a huge trauma, um, it's not immediate that you realize what's happened to you. It took me two weeks before I was able to start to process. I went into a deep sense of shock, a deep state of shock, which I guess was, now I look at it and I'm proud of my body for actually protecting me. Like, obviously, it was so big of what I was going through. My body shut down completely. So no feelings were available to me at all. And that that continued for quite some time. But I think it's sort of... um, I was in a different country and away from my family as well, which kind of, I think my fight or flight response drew me to just get home, just get home. And then you can start to unravel. And I got home and I still didn't start to unravel for quite some time. Um, And I think everybody around me was horrified by what happened to me. And I was, but it wasn't a feeling that was within reach. I was very numb. Um, And so when I sort of say like it was getting to know who I was again, I wonder if how much I knew of myself before the trauma actually happened. I think, you know, I was very carefree, love partying, love my lifestyle and things like that, and maybe took a lot of things for granted. But I don't think the deep spiritual side of me had really awakened fully. Um, and so through my uh, trauma journey, and that's definitely something that that came to the forefront of my mind. But through doing that, there were sort of things where I would have my therapist say, like, what do you do to comfort yourself? And I was, I had no clue. I had no idea how to help myself or comfort myself. And I think it is the trauma response that happens in order to... Um, survive something like that it kind of has your body has to shut down and your body it's been scientifically proven your body will only allow you to remember and allow you to feel things that it's strong enough to feel and so it's a protection is it's a short answer is a protection for for helping you to survive Mm. Yeah, and I can relate to that after the last experience of a breakup that I've had because like when uh, my partner you know expressed that we probably like should break up I literally like maybe for like a split second I got sad or whatever but then I got such shock emotion that I was completely numb I was just sitting there with like poker face and I was just like I don't know I was I was so shocked and as you say it took me a while to actually unravel and like months actually to go to the depth of the feeling to release it all uh maybe like it took me three or three and a half months to actually fully let it all out of my body but this shock this initial shock I was just like I don't know I just suppressed it all it was my body's natural response and of course I cared about about him so much and I cared about this relationship so much but I couldn't process it I just was not able to so I feel like with any extreme emotions if we are in shock it's kind of like just stops us and then okay you know our nervous system is able to go deeper and then deeper and then deeper and so it's a very natural process of our body and we need to allow it to take time as much as we need to actually unravel all these layers and peel off these onion layers of emotions that are coming up for us and so what do you feel like based on your experience uh, what are the most important factors in trauma recovery well, for trauma recovery, I think it's kind of uh, society driven doesn't allow us to be still. I mean, we're, we're encouraged to be busy all the time, whether it's on our phones or working or taking my kids to clubs. There's, there's not really many things that promote just to be still. Um, and I think part of my trauma recovery was my body literally just stopped. I, I had no choice other than to be still. Um, and 
to give myself full permission to be like that, to, that it's okay. It's if I have days that are non-productive, that's okay. If I kept pushing myself and I was already running on empty, I wasn't going to produce anything. I wasn't going to be successful in just living for a day, let alone continuing on my journey. Um, and so I think it's very much being kind to yourself. And I think that's where for me, the, the, the last part of my journey, which might sound crazy, but the self-love part for me was a really late stage of my journey. It's sort of, I did a lot of surviving and things like that. And so for a trauma thing, it's understanding, it's surrounding it, being able to make choices for yourself that if something doesn't feel good, you don't have to do it. And I think, and again, it's society driven that people want you to continue. There's so many people that when you see somebody go through something bad, they say, oh, well, it's okay, or it could be worse. And it's actually what you need is someone to say, what do you need right now? Do you need to just be? And I think that's probably the most important factor. And through being able to be still, you then start to notice the little things around you, which to me was the biggest part of getting better, of finding joy in such small things that no one else could provide for me, but it was just in my existence of being that gave me a sense of hope. And that's what then fueled me to survive. Mm, that's amazing. And it's so crazy how all these like negative experiences, quote unquote, give us such a depth of life in terms of like we can really appreciate things when we have experienced the lowest lows, we are also able to appreciate the highest heights, right? Like we can really, really Absolutely. have the span, the span of emotions that we can experience after we have gone through such a big trauma. Although, you know, it doesn't feel good when you're there, it feels uncomfortable and so on. To so many people, this trauma is actually a, a way to awaken to who they truly are, a way to, a way to awaken to their essence, to the appreciation and love that is around them. And of course, it's like, you know, we don't wish anyone to experience it. But I believe that there is a reason why we experience these things. There is a reason why our soul has brought us to or higher power or whatever you believe in. The universe has brought us to experience specific things, to actually learn lessons, to learn appreciation, to to you know, be thankful for every single little thing in our life. And so that's so amazing that you have experienced this and you can really feel now greater appreciation uh, for everything. I, I remember this feeling that I had after fasting, after I did like a three weeks fast. And after only two weeks, I went out of home because, you know, it's a very internal process. You need to meditate a lot. You don't work at the time. You, you just really go internal in your spiritual journey, right? And I, when I went out after two weeks at home, I'm like, oh my God, trees. Oh my God. Or, you know, when you take the first sip of water after dry fast, it's like, this water is like the best thing that has ever happened to you in yeah. your entire life life and it's just like it's sometimes good to let's say deprive yourself of something so that then you can really really appreciate it and even more than if you had it all the time like with fasting for example right if you didn't eat for the whole day how amazing is this first sip of smoothie that you take you know the next day or whatever it's just really it's really to, it's to fully feel isn't it it's it's to be present and i think that's the thing of sort of going through trauma numbs you it, it switches all of those receptors off um, within your brain that engage us to feel and just puts us into survival mode and it is very much that of sort of a journey to recovery for me especially I decided that I wanted psychotherapy I decided that I wanted to speak to somebody but I decided that I didn't want any medicine whatsoever I didn't want any medical intervention I have a homeopath and that's you know me and my family use um but I didn't want I wanted to feel fully the trauma that I was in because I think even in my midst of it I knew that if I didn't 10 years down the line it was going to hit me out of the blue and I I wanted life to continue I survived I lived so I deserved to feel all of those things in that moment. And through doing that, yeah, I felt some really brutal, raw, horrible emotions, had horrible thoughts about myself and, you know, my gut feel and things like that. But then also got to fully joy, like feel joy and experience this beauty around me that 
was on such a deep level that it, it filled my heart. Like I feel so full every single day because I experienced that. Mm, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's really, really nice to to know that you can experience this after such like horrible events that have happened to you. So yeah, that's really inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing. And I know that you are an expert on uh, domestic abuse and I would love to touch upon that as well because I think it's so important to talk about it because a lot of people um, are actually in the abuse situation but they don't talk about it. They don't let their friends know or their family know what's going on because of course they are sometimes ashamed of uh, things happening at home and behind the closed doors and people don't talk about it and I wanted to ask you about the signs of abuse that we as you know friends or family members we can uh, look for just to know that like to be alarmed if something is going on uh, around us because as I say like it's hidden of the times I think most of the times it's actually hidden because people are like okay I, like, I'm not gonna tell anyone that my husband is beating me up like what they are gonna think about me or whatever right and but these people are actually too like I don't know maybe they feel not deserving for better life or maybe they have some patterns in their subconscious of powerlessness or victimhood that keep there in the situation but unless you know sometimes some if someone doesn't intervene then they're not going to change anything about it because of this undeservability or maybe shame or whatever else so what are the signs to to look for when someone is abused Sure. I, th I think it's really important to sort of highlight that actually anybody can be abused and anybody can be an abuser. A, a domestic abuse does not discriminate um, at all. It happens across cultures, races, women, um, men, same-sex couples and children as well. Um, and so I think that a lot of the time when people are experiencing uh, domestic abuse, they're not fully aware that they're actually being abused. They might not be fully aware that they're actually unhappy in that situation either. Um, on average, it takes somebody nine times of seeking out help before they're brave enough to actually leave that situation. Um, and that's if they, they are safe enough to leave that situation. Uh, somebody, when they do leave a domestic violence uh, relationship, it's when they leave that they're most likely to be at risk from being killed. And so it's it's a really dangerous situation. And I think probably they live with that. And so that probably keeps them in the situation if they are aware of the abuse as well. Wow, um, nine but abuse, times? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know it's, that. Um, it's nine times? That's a lot. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's really huge. And I think it's uh, there's what we call a cycle of abuse. And so um, it, in a situation, tensions build. And so there can be friction within a household. And, you know, there can be children present. There cannot be children present. It, it really doesn't. It's not specific to who's in it. It's just with the uh, abuser and the person experiencing the abuse. There can be a tension building in a situation and tension builds and then that ends up being sort of a big incident, whether that's an argument, things get broken, somebody gets hurt. Um, but there tends to be this build up and then this big incident happens. And then on the back of this incident, there's a reconciliation period where the person may sort of say, well, you made me do this or it's because I had a bad day or I'm struggling with this and be full of excuses for that. And then they go into like a numbing period, which is referred to as the honeymoon period, which I don't necessarily like, but I get why it's called that. And it's where the abuser will promise to seek help. They will promise to correct the error of their ways. And through this cycle of abuse, um, each time the person that's being abused is weakened. They are essentially mentally tormented as well as physical or anything else that is happening to them. Um, and each time this cycle repeats itself, they become weaker. So as they become more aware of the abuse coming on. They become weaker and weaker, which is harder for them to then seek help or to break free of that cycle. So I think um, 
I have a rule in my household that nothing is taboo. I have two children that are nine and five years old and I really encourage healthy conversations. I really encourage that it's okay to talk about stuff. You know, even if it feels uncomfortable, it's okay to talk about those things. And I do feel that um, in coaching, I think when you look at the statistics, there's a charity of one in four um, of people that have been abused, but that's just by reported crimes. The true statistics when you look across the charities is one in two. So if you're in a room with one other person, one of you have experienced domestic abuse on, on a level. Um, and with it being that prevalent, I think healthy conversations is probably the biggest element for me of being able to combat domestic abuse and instead of let's instead of let's uh, looking at the cure of how to help people get through that, Let's work at the preventative from a really young age. But I think of when I see people and I've helped people um, who have been experiencing domestic abuse or have experienced domestic abuse in the past, I think the thing is, is that they don't recognise that they're being abused. But then there's things that we could look out for as are they withdrawn? Are they as confident as what they were once were? You know, I've had friends that were really bubbly and outgoing and loved you know, life in every way. And then they got into a relationship and it's quite normal, isn't it? When you get into a relationship, you want to spend more time with that person. You do recluse a little bit, but then do they become withdrawn? Are there reasons why they can't go out? Are they constantly checking in with their partner and asking for permission to do things? Those sorts of things would be red flags to me. Um, I think with physical abuse, I think that society, again, has kind of driven that that's what domestic abuse looks like. If somebody turns up with a black eye and constantly says they've fallen down the stairs. But actually, abuse is quite sneaky when it happens. If somebody is being physically abused, they, the abuser tends to hurt them in areas that are going to be covered by clothing anyway. Um, it's the coercion for me that I find really um, difficult because it's a mental game. And for, for when somebody's in a coercive, controlled relationship... It's quite difficult because sometimes out of respect, you might ask your partner if it's OK for you to go out, you know, being respectful to that to your significant other. But I also think that there are other signs, like I say, of being withdrawn, of maybe um, regaining control in other aspects of their life. And so somebody who maybe wasn't as controlled may become quite controlling over certain things. They might jump at loud noises. They might be triggered by a door slamming or an alarm going off or something like that. And I think as... Uh, society if we could be more aware of those things and actually be more in touch with that if we saw somebody having a reaction to something instead of saying oh it's just Sheila she's jumpy or you know and things like that we could actually be a bit more in tune and be like are you okay the likelihood is if somebody's being abused and you ask them if they're okay they'll probably say that they're absolutely fine but if you continue to have conversations with them and continue to ask if they're okay or check in with them you, you look tired today are you okay and if you continue to do that and you build up then they actually know that they've got a trusted person so when they are brave enough and feel strong enough that they do want to seek help they have options because I think one of the greatest things within abuse is that they become quite isolated and individual will be cut off from mostly their family their friends from all of their close friends especially as well because they might have an opinion so the abuser tends to isolate them more and so if there are options don't give up on your friends don't give up on your family if you think that something's going on don't swipe it away and say that it's their issue still be there and hold a space for them just know that they have to do it in their time maybe not at the pace that you want them to Mm. Yeah, and I can relate to that. I've uh, had friends who were kind of abused and also like secluded and couldn't really talk to anyone and, you know, didn't even talk to me for months and um, I kind of knew what was going on. So I, of course, like reached out and was like, you know, let's connect whenever you're ready, whenever you are out of it. So I can totally relate. But actually two things uh, came to my mind and one of them is like, 
the domestic abuse definition because I feel like when we think of domestic abu abuse, we need we mean physical abuse, but actually domestic abuse is very much emotional, oftentimes more so mm -hmm. than physical. And so I feel like maybe people, you know, can misinterpret it because it's like, okay, yeah, I'm not beaten up uh, in my in my home, so I'm not abused uh, domestically, right? But you actually are if you're deprived emotionally of uh, of your needs, or if you, for example, are manipulated, or if you're triangulated against, or if there is uh, intermittent reinforcement as this manipulation tactics when the partner is like so nice to you and then so shit to you and then so nice to you again. So that makes you feel addicted to these heights when the partner or whatever, whoever family member is going to be so nice to you and give you the sovereign approval. So like there are also emotional signs of it, right? Uh, not only physical. So I, I just wanted to, to mention it because I feel like for many people, it's not clear that domestic abuse is emotional too and sometimes even more than physical um, yeah. and so i feel like one of the things that i would say that you know look for the signs of domestic abuse is actually like if you can be attuned to people if you can like have a skill of emotional attunement in terms of like really feeling into so, so, how someone feels it would be way easier for you to actually discover what is going on really because if you ask someone uh, like is everything okay and they say no but you can actually feel that there is something there because you're so attuned to the other person that you are feeling what they are feeling and you can feel this resistance it's like oh there is, it's not truth right it's not the truth being said it's something yeah. hidden behind it so if you can be attuned to your friends and to your family and really practice the attunement because it's also not that easy for people who are more so let's say intellectual or more so action takers than emotional it might be not that easy to just be emotionally attuned to someone because you have to be willing to feel shit sometimes <laughs> you have to be willing to feel how this other person yeah. feels right so you need to open up fully to experiencing all the emotions that they are feeling so it might not be as comfortable as we might want often to actually like open our, ourselves up fully to the other person to be so attuned that we literally feel how this person feels but if we can practice that and if we really i feel like if we really care about people um you know the, that are close to us we need to be attuned to them because we need to know their needs the desires their emotions and and we need to practice it and to build even intimacy or great relationship or you know authenticity in relationships trust and yeah. all these things so build trust if, absolutely that's the word that comes to me is trust and it's you know like i say you can ask people if they're okay but they're not necessarily going to offer that information but if you say hey i'm going for a coffee come with me or if in a work environment i'm just going to the canteen or you know make there's plenty of uh, environments that we can be in where we can make space that's not putting a person on the spot to offer up because when somebody's experiencing abuse, they, uh, abuse, they might feel quite um, protective of it. And, and a lot of the time, that's, to them, a version of love. And to be on their own it is a really frightening thought. And they might think that that's all they're worthy of because they've been so broken down. And so it's only when you start to have other healthy connections around you, and it's in a workplace, is perfect because the abuser cannot actually prevent... They do sometimes, but on the whole, at the beginning, when they start building trust with somebody within a workplace, that's something that the abuser can't actually intervene with. As the cycle of abuse does... Um, become more severe they will a uh, lot of the time say express jealousy over their partner working and say but you spend more time there than with me and that's another way of isolating somebody from their daily life as well because then it helps them to regain greater control over them but I do think that when you have uh, if you do have access to people around you like you say to be in tune and just to hold space I think as humans in society we give up quite easily sometimes on other people which is so the wrong way to do things and it's like okay they might not be the warmest person but there might be something within them that they need and it's not to look at everybody of like oh they need my help but just be kind be a good human 
Mm-hmm. And especially if you care about someone, because usually what I found anyway, um, with this kind of abuse, it's like you don't really see how abused you are unless you're like out of it or unless you have a broader perspective. Mm-hmm. As you say, unless you have some healthy relationships around you, you don't even know that the relationships you already have uh, had before are unhealthy because you have no reference point or you have no Absolutely. like yeah you just don't know unless you're in it like you know I've been in this kind of let's say a narcissistic uh, thing go in a relationship right where I felt like I I was emotionally abused in some way and maybe not like hardcore but now only after I got out of it and after I stopped talking to this person and stopped just you know any interactions now I can be like oh my god I was so manipulated I was like cut off from my friends and family it was made wrong for me to contact them and like you know because and it was all wrapped up in like uh, spiritual stuff as well so it was even more hardcore Uh, but I feel like you know it's actually (laughs) so hard for us to see that we are abused when we are in it because it's like this person that is an abuser often makes us feel like this is the best possible scenario for us for example like to cut off from your friends and family is the best for you because they are so bad or they are blah 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 whatever whatever the story is right so then abuser makes us feel like it's actually the best thing ever that they are doing for us when they treat us in the way they treat us and that reminds me of a story of my mind a spiritual mentor, uh, Teal Swan, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she was in an, a very abusive uh, situation where she was like a part of satanic cult and she was like tortured and raped and like all these things. She was actually the creator of a method, uh, the completion process that I use for my clients where you go back to the traumatic event and you really experience uh, the trauma and let out all the emotions that you felt in, in that moment. And um, so it's also like a trauma work. But she literally said that un- before she escaped uh, her abuser, she didn't even know that what he was doing was wrong. And he was like doing all kinds of things like drugging her, raping her, torturing her, you know, closing mm-hmm. her in a somewhere for the night without food and water and light or anything like just crazy stuff. And she didn't even comprehend that this is wrong, that it's not supposed to be like that. And only when she mm-hmm. went for psychotherapy and started talking to people, she discovered, oh my God, it's actually like not as life supposed to be or look like. And, you know, she's no. like, I think from the year uh, when she was six years old until she was 19 years old, she was like abused. So it has been her life, you know, it has been so normal for her mm. to be treated like that. So I feel like sometimes we need to really, um, as, as you say, you know, not give up on, our friends or whatever that cut off from us because we might be as well this person that could be showing them how life is supposed to look like and how you know the healthy relationship is supposed to look like or they can reach out for help to us and talk about it and whatever but oftentimes it just requires time uh, to to open up and I was also I didn't really know uh, when I was in this kind of situation what's going on unless I got out of it so I can really relate and of course it's it's great experience for me because now I probably wouldn't be abused anymore because I know how it feels and I I've been there right so I know this shit I'm not gonna like get hooked on it anymore (laughs) and I I know all these manipulation techniques uh, techniques that are used so it's not gonna be um, you know I'm not scared of it anymore but I know that there might be so many people that still need help and they don't even know that they do so let's just be open to them and let's just you know um, help them somehow and so if maybe someone listens to us and they are abused what would be your advice to these kind of people when they are in the situation like oh my god actually maybe I am abused right now 
Mm. I mean, uh, definitely in the UK, there uh, is a fantastic organisation, Women's Aid, and they um, have been brilliant with referrals, with signposting where, you know, you can say, here, this is who you can speak to. Um, But there is also in the UK as well, I think it's important to mention that actually up until 1891, the law here was that a man had the right to beat his wife. That was the law. So we have a lot of generational stuff that has been fed down through people. And it was only until 2005 that we had a Domestic Violence Act introduced properly. But it's only up until 2019, there was a Domestic Act that was coming in. um, Because up until then, we had... um, if somebody was stalking, if somebody had beaten their wife, they didn't have an actual classified crime that they could charge them under. So it was trying to read between the law as to how to charge somebody with these crimes, which I think has instilled in a lot of people that maybe are in abusive situations that what's the point? Because he didn't kill me. He didn't put me in hospital. So what what's the police going to do? And so it got paused because of the pandemic, which is really sad because domestic abuse referrals went up by 51% just during the first lockdown. Um, And so now this Domestic Violence Act has come in as of last year. And through that Domestic Violence Act, actually, police have the powers which they're trialling at the moment, that if uh, somebody has been in an abusive situation, they can immediately put an order on them. They don't need to go through court to stop the person contacting them. Um, And there's also individual crimes now that people can be charged for. Stalking is a crime within its own right. So I do feel that things are slowly starting to change. But I think it's really important to understand that we as a society have so much work and so so much further to, to come with this. But I think if somebody is being abused, definitely, if you're able to reach out, then do. If you're able to keep a diary, then do, because that will help you as well. But it's important that you're safe. And so I think your safety comes first. And for me, I would reach out to a charity. Um, if you felt like you were in danger, yeah, for sure, phone the police. But I would reach out to a, I, I say women's aid, men are abused too, but the majority of abused people tend to be women, um, sadly, from a male to to a woman. Um, but it's also important to understand that an abuser will present themselves as the nicest person that you've ever met. Like some of the nicest people I've met have turned out to be the most abusive. Um, And so just because they present well doesn't mean it's not possible of what you're being told about them. Um, And abuse as well, it's not about harming the person. It's about control. It's about an abuser feeling empowered by themselves in a skewed way of thinking. It's not about them saying, well, I'll hurt you, I'll punish you. It's about them feeling that they're in control. It's their thought process that is wired wrongly. Um, But yeah, the charities that we have, Citizens Advice that we have, there's all of these places that have access to refuges, to safe houses that are able to get you out of those situations if necessary. And then on the back of those, they can help you financially um, in needing to leave. Through through Women's Aid, there's also the Rape Crisis Centre, which have been absolutely amazing. There's a Solace Centre in London, which has several um, offices. And the people that um, work in those have all been victims of sexual violence or domestic abuse themselves and so it's not just textbook people that have read things and done degrees that they they're well informed and being able to speak to somebody like that can make you relax so much because you you feel heard for the first time and so I would definitely reach out for help would be my biggest bit of advice Mm, yeah and I feel like then you don't feel that alone with uh, your abuse I think that's the most important thing to not feel that you're alone with it because oftentimes as we said we we are secluded when we are abused so we feel like 
I'm the only person that can help myself and I'm trapped and I'm only with this person who is abusive and I cannot do anything about it. So yeah, I feel like reaching out for help is such a, uh, such an important thing. And actually like, mm-hmm. yeah, just, just also checking, uh, I feel like checking with yourself. Like, am I actually fulfilled in all the relationships in my life? Are my needs being met? Am I heard in my relationships? Am I seen? Absolutely. Am I, you know, all these questions that we can ask ourselves, like, do I feel comfortable in my relationships or do I feel tense when I, think of a person because then like all these signs mm. can bring you to this awareness that okay there's something that needs to, the realization needs to change so what kind of questions would you say people should ask themselves to kind of like check with themselves uh, apart from what, they, what i mentioned yeah it's do i feel loved do i feel safe um can i remember a time that i felt happy what does it feel like now and what feels good what doesn't feel good um and when you say are my needs being met I think it's to delve into that a little bit more as to not just your needs being met but are you exhausted meeting their needs are you exhausted of living in an unpredictable situation when you come home every day do you know what situation you're walking into or do you not know what's going to happen every single day I think it's really important that when you start to analyze your day-to-day life that you can see how different or how disconnected it is to maybe what you've been telling yourself that it is um and I think when you like you say when you do have that realization and you you it's almost like a light bulb moment to think like, oh, no, that's that's not what it was. That's not how it's supposed to be. I think that's when you start to feel empowered to think, actually, this is not okay anymore. It needs to change. But it's hard. It's an act of bravery to speak out. Well, I mean, the women that have spoken out, that have given us the knowledge that we know now to be able to do the courses that we all do. It's an act of bravery. I think it's heroic. Mm, yeah, I think so too. And uh, also, I, I was curious to ask you about this because, like, sometimes we can see that someone is abused, but it's hard to communicate to them because they are so in their patterns and they don't see it so much that mm-hmm. it just doesn't land. And so, what would you say to these people that are okay? I can see that my best friend is being abused here, being controlled, being manipulated, or whatever, but they don't actually like see it themselves. So, uh, how would you speak? to this person or would you like uh, as you say would you build trust first would, do you have any specific you know advice when you already know okay there is an abuse happening but if I, I i don't know how to say to this person because they don't see it or they don't listen or whatever so how would you approach this i think the best thing that you can do is to hold when i say hold space for somebody it's don't give up on them you know it's if I went up to somebody and said, oh, I can see that you're being abused. It's not a healthy situation. It's terrible, isn't it? Let's do something about it. They'll literally, they will become so defensive about their situation that the opportunity that I was going to have of being able to help them will be shut down straight away. So I think it's important that you just be a good friend to them. Be um, open to whatever they say. They may sit there for many years and say things that have happened to them. But that rapport that you build up with them builds that trust. So when they do feel able to actually do something about it and to action it, you are a safe person for them to do that with. And I think that that is such a valuable asset to have as a friend, to have somebody that you fully trust that already knows these things about you and has passed no judgment. Because I think if you feel judged when you're in that situation, it kind of induces shame within us. And shame is known and proven as a nothing feeling. If you feel shame, you can't actually 
generate that into something else. It's just something that sits within us that increases our low self-worth. And so if you have a friend that's just open and that doesn't pass judgment and is fully accepting, but you feel okay in their presence, I think it's maybe not so much, yeah, for somebody that's being abused as to how they reach out, but maybe as us in community of how we can support those that may need us. And actually, if we all supported everybody in that way, wouldn't we live in the most amazing community? We would have the kindest, most loving people around us all the time that were honest and authentic, that would actually minimise, I believe, people that were abusive because it would just it, they'd stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> Mm, yeah, absolutely. It would just be just be so so visible. It would be like, whoa, there is something weird happening there, and everyone would know it. it would be yeah. so clear, absolutely. And so, if you if someone has suffered abuse and they just got out of it, I know that sometimes it's a big process of integration back to life. Like for example, you know, someone just mm -hmm. got out of the abusive relationship and then they are alone. They don't have anyone. They don't have friends. They don't have family because they just stopped talking to everyone. What would you say that they should do how to go back to life in a way after, because, you know, I'm mm -hmm. thinking of one person specifically that I, that I know. And she was like, just on her own completely just you know with nothing and no one and no money no friends no family and she had to like rebuild her life from scratch so what would you say to this kind of person who is like after the abuse but they are still you know suffering the the effects uh, of the abuse yeah, itself it's, uh, yeah i mean it's a uh, very very common for somebody that has been able to leave an abusive uh, relationship to uh, suffer huge complex ptsd and there's so much to process of the unraveling as such um i describe trauma very much as a sense of grief it's a loss of the person that you were and a loss of the life that you had and i think there's also um let's normalize that if you have left an abusive relationship you may miss that person that abused you because to you that was love. And so there's a real big uh, thought process that you have to go through to be able to unravel from that. Um, and so if you have the space to be able to just grieve for a bit, I think that's a beautiful space that you could be in. Um, but then I also think that uh, coming out of it, yes, there's practical things of financial and housing and things like that. Um, and I think be good, kind to yourself every single day. Give yourself an act of kindness that nobody else can give to you because those acts of kindness that you do will fill your cup up so much that you will realize that actually future relationships, if you ever have them again, I know everybody's like, oh, I never want to date again. Never date for the first year coming out of an abusive relationship. Give yourself time to heal. Give yourself an act of kindness every single day, whether that's just having an extra five minutes in bed sitting in, bar in a bath, not to wash or anything, but just because it feels good to immerse yourself in that water, to listen to a song that makes you feel great and happy, you know, something uplifting. Do these, uh, get outside, get outside, I can express that enough. But by doing these small acts of kindness to yourself each day, you are bit by bit telling yourself that you are worthy of the love that you didn't have. And I think that's quite a healing process to be able to do. Mm, that's so and beautiful. Talk, talk about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like developing this self-love again, just connecting to yourself, connecting to your soul, to what you love to do, to how how you feel good about yourself. Maybe you can start a gratitude journal as well to just like uplift your vibration because sure. I feel like oftentimes you are so low in after abuse that you are in such a low vibrational state that anything that can raise your vibration really, whether it's movement, whether it's dancing, singing, yoga, meditation, of course, sometimes it's hard to, to go 
straight there because it's like, you know, you need to maybe first, as you say, grieve and go through a lot of layers of emotions, but anything that will raise your vibration and make you feel better about yourself and about your life, I feel like that could help mm-hmm. also as a recovery uh, process. And also I feel like be gentle with yourself when it comes to the time that it takes, because I feel like people sometimes want to rush uh, healing and, you know, they, they feel like, okay, I should be back to life or whatever. I should go back to work or, you know, uh, put my... I don't know, get my shit together or whatever, right? But actually, if you're extremely abused, you need time to process things. And that's completely okay. Mm. And so you can just be in maybe for a month or two, you might not uh, work or you might not do anything, just taking care of yourself. I feel like it's very important to to take this time for yourself. Uh, Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's it's important to mention as well the Domestic Abuse Act that I mentioned that has just come in. As part of that new act that has come in, if somebody has left an abusive relationship and they have reached out to a charity or police or something like that, you actually are entitled now to four weeks paid off of work whilst you go through the process of leaving, um, which I don't think is publicised anywhere near enough. So I, I know the people that I've supported have been like, and that's why I say it mirrors grief, is that your world has stopped, essentially. You're in this deep sense of like, oh, it's a hard stop from where your life was, but the world around you doesn't stop. And that's really hard, I think, when you're grieving, because it's a reiteration that you should be better than what you are. And it's not. You're only going to be better at your own pace and be, like you say, being gentle to yourself. Um, and I think, yeah, for a month or two, that's that's coming through the shock process of it. But I think the, um, the triggers and the trauma that's induced from domestic abuse can really last for quite quite some time and there's no right or wrong length of time for that you know some people in six months might feel so relieved and so happy and so revitalized that this new life that they've got that they're amazing and some people two years down the line may still feel completely traumatized by what they went through and everybody has their own rate of recovery and that's okay but each day is another opportunity to heal yourself. And I think that's the best way that you can look at it. And a gratitude journal is a great idea in terms of at the end of each day, just write down one thing that you did that you achieved for yourself that day. And it doesn't have to be anything big. If you manage to go to the shop and get some milk, hey, that's a win in my book because you weren't allowed to do it before. Mm, Yeah, that's beautiful. Just find little things that now you can do with freedom, right? That you... The, the freedom that you didn't have before. So that's a beautiful thing to, to do. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all that. So I have one uh, last little question to you. Where could people find you if they feel like maybe they suffer domestic abuse and they want to talk to an expert or see your content or maybe they know someone who might need your help? What's the best way to contact you? Uh, so Instagram is my main form on there. I'm on Hannah Garland 6292 um, and I'm always available to speak to people anybody that is suffering domestic abuse and you feel like I'm your avenue to be able to to help please do reach out I have so much time and so much space for anybody in that situation and I will always always hold space for you Mm, that's so sweet of you I can really feel that you're speaking from your heart I I can really feel that you just want to help people and this is really really beautiful to feel thank you so so much for sharing your amazing energy and everything that you know I feel like it was really helpful for everyone who maybe struggles with abuse and uh, yeah it was certainly very very knowledgeable and so thank you so much for agreeing to speak on this thank you for having me